Well, good morning, High Point Church. I hope that you are doing well. Greetings from Memphis, Tennessee. I'm thrilled to be with you. My name is Steve Johnson. I'm privileged to serve as the lead pastor of Kingdom Church right here in Memphis, one of your Every Nation churches. I'm thrilled to be a part of your service today and to bring the Word of God to you. Let me tell you, I love your pastors. Uh, I'm so happy and thrilled uh, that I can serve uh, Andy and Amy King. Uh, We are thrilled. My wife and I love them, and we love the work that is happening in Atlanta, Georgia. We're, we're thrilled about the work that God is doing. And even fact, a bigger fact is you guys sent to us uh, a couple from your church, Stephen and Sarah Rohr, who have been serving here in our church faithfully. And uh, we are thrilled. They are doing amazing. They are serving well here. Uh, thank you for the blessing that you've been to our church in sending them to us. And thank you for the blessing that you've been to us. Even uh, during 2020, where we were quarantined and me and my wife got to tune into your services on a regular basis. We are thrilled for what's happening there. And I'm thrilled to be a part of your service this morning uh, and to be able to speak the word of God to you. We're going to be in in 1 John chapter number 3 this morning, uh, beginning in verse number 11. 1 John chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 11. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and I'm going to do my best to stay within the time constraints uh, that I've been given so you aren't held up too long this morning. If you would look at me in that verse, it reads this way. 1 John chapter number 3, beginning in verse 11. It says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the devil, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not abide in, excuse me, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? He finishes this way in verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I want to use for a topic this morning, how's your love life? How's your love life. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you so much uh, for these people, for this church, for uh, what they're doing and what you've called them to. And Lord, I pray that you would speak uh, to them this morning as the word of God goes forth. God, that you would use me to speak to them, that they would be changed, that they would be transformed. And Lord, we would ultimately examine our love life in you. Lord, help us to understand what it is you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story of two women uh, who uh, they had some issues towards one another or a grudge grudge against each other. Uh, They went to the same church and one Sunday morning, one one of the women without words walked up to the other woman, put her arms around her and hugged her tightly. The lady who received the hug 
looked at the woman and said, why are you hugging me this morning? The lady said, you weren't here last Sunday, so you don't understand what the pastor's message was last week. Wait until the end of the sermon and you will find out just why I hugged you. At the end of the sermon, the pastor closed out his message with prayer and he looked at the congregation and he said to the congregation, congregation, I want you to do one thing this week. I want you to go out and love someone that you hate. The lady who received the hug after service walked up to the lady who gave her the hug and she gave her a big hug and she pulled her close and held her tight. And after the hug was over, she looked at the lady and she said, if I would have known that that's what he said last week, I would have hugged you much sooner when I saw you this morning. You see, these two women didn't understand what the pastor was telling them to do. The one thing that they did did do that was extremely clear is that they did show to one another that they had issues with one another. Uh, They did not verify that they had love for one another. And family, here's the truth. If love was as simple as a hug and a handshake and a high five, we would have no issue loving each other. But this world that we live in this day, it just is not that simple. And let's be honest, it is hard to love when you've been hated or you have been wronged. I myself have experienced hurt from people before. I've even experienced hurt from the local church before. And I'm sure that if I ask you to pause and to think about where you've received hurt or you received pain, you will have some of that operating in your heart as well. Your problems or the hatred might start at even boiling back up. The problem is our motive for love is not based upon someone doing us right. It's not based upon somebody doing right towards us. But this text tells us our motive for love is based upon our status in Christ. So John uses verse 10 as a precursor to go into verse 11 where he talks about loving one another. And in verse 10, John talks about us being children of God. And if we are children of God, from being children of God, that means that we should then love one another because children of God take after their father. So our basis for loving one another is because we are now children of God. And now as those who belong to God, we should live and love like the pattern that Jesus left us, not the pattern of the world. John throughout this book has made a constant comparison and contrast between topics, including things like walking in the light and walking in darkness, saying we have no sin and confessing sin, keeping God's commandments and not keeping God's commandments, denying Christ and confessing Christ. And he does it again here when he talks about the theme of love versus hate. Jesus teaches us in the Bible uh, that loving one another provides a superlative witness to a watching world. John 13 and 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. Our life is identified with Jesus and love is that evidence to say that I belong to Jesus. So John is essentially asking this question this morning, High Point. How's your love life? What does your love like look like? How are you operating in your love life? 
The question is convicting because if we are all honest, we tend to love more like the world than we do love like Jesus. How's your love life? But John gives us in these eight verses some truths about love. First, love is at the heart of the gospel. Love is at the heart of the gospel. Verse number 11 through 13 reads like this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. In his opening verse, in in, uh, verse number 11, John says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. He is telling his audience that this is the message that they heard at the very beginning of the very confession, excuse me, the the very um, uh, um, change or the very uh, beginning of their relationship with Christ, where they were transformed and God did a new work in them. This is the message that they heard that they should love one another. But this is not only the word that they heard at their very conversion in Christ, but this is the word that they heard preached throughout all of the New Testament that they should love one another. In fact, it comes up over and over again. Love is at the heart of the gospel. Here's five passages, just of a few passages that speak of loving one another. John 13 and 34 says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. John 15 and 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Romans 12 and 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Galatians 5 and 13 says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, But through love, serve one another. First Peter four and eight says, above all, keeping love, excuse me, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. It is obvious by looking at this that God thinks loving one another is highly important in the life of a believer. John also says that we are to love consistently, comprehensively, continually, and individually. He's saying no favorites, no bias, no prejudices, no practices of discrimination among your brothers and your sisters. Now, I want to underscore something in this passage that is really important as we read this text, is that whenever brother or sister is mentioned in this passage, John is primarily referring to the family of God. To us who are believers, and yes, the principle of loving one another applies across the board. Yes, it means to the ones who may not uh, be people who have uh, given their lives to Jesus. Yes, we are called to love them too. But right here, he is talking to believers, people who have made a confession to follow Jesus with their lives. He is commanding from us that a part of our faith is that we would love one another. So if there's should be anyone 
who models loving one another well, it is people who have made a confession and a decision to follow Jesus. It is not odd that this scripture could help us in today's world. Did anybody live through 2020? Did anybody see what was happening in 2020 where, man, we lost a taste of loving one another? And our love for each other cannot be based upon what we disagree on, but it has to be based upon what we agree on. And that is Jesus. High Point Atlanta, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful to be a part of a family of churches like Every Nation. Our Every Nation family of churches is a worldwide movement or family of churches who believe that uh, in spite of everything that's happening around the world, in spite of every little thing that could bother each and every one of us, in spite of the frustrations that our world face on a daily basis, whether it is racial injustice or whether it is social injustice or whether it is political tension that drives us all crazy, we believe at the core of who we are, we're going to intentionally pursue relationships to uh, continuously pursue loving one another regardless of what we look like or what we sound like or where we come from or whether our whatever our opinions are because we are committing to love one another because of Jesus. He has called us to love one another. To give us an example in this text, John uses uh, Cain and Abel. Uh, John says that we should not be like Cain. Now, a lot of us probably remember uh, this particular story from Acts chapter number four. Uh, it isn't the first time that we've seen sin, uh, but it is the first time that we've seen, seen this type of heinous sin uh, where uh, Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice to the Lord and Abel's sacrifice is received as a better sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice is rejected. Cain comes to the Lord with a sacrifice, but Abel comes to the Lord with the first fruits of his sacrifice. And because of the acceptance or his brother's righteousness of coming to God with this sacrifice, Cain is upset. His frustrations, his anger, his malice, his wrath, they go off because of his sin nature and he murders his brother. In all of this, we get to see a picture of what it looks like to hate someone, what it looks like to not actually be in love with God, so the scripture tells us. It tells us this, that because of Cain's, what Cain did, we know that his father is not the father who we serve, who has called us to love, but rather Cain's father uh, is the evil one. Cain murdered his brother. And the word murder means this. It means to butcher or to slay or to slaughter. It speaks of a violent and brutal killing. Cain's motives were moved by the evil one. The text tells us his heart was filled with jealousy and envy and resentment. And Cain hated Abel. And look what it led to. Look at what happened in this text when you're not motivated by love. Now, you may be saying to yourself, this is super drastic for you to bring this up when it comes to love. But I think that John is trying to make a clear point that 
maybe you aren't driven to murder, but if we don't love, we will be driven to the worst possible things that we could possibly do under our own human idea. He's called us to love. To say, to sum all this up, John says this. He says, don't be surprised, or that could be translated, stop being surprised. The world is going to hate you. It's in their nature. He says, however, don't be like Cain. Don't stoop to their level. Resist the urge to to return hate for hate. Resist the urge to return evil for evil. The gospel has changed us. And love is at the heart of the gospel. Here it is, family. Love should be the fruit when the gospel has taken root. Love should be the fruit when the gospel has taken root. So first, love is at the heart of the gospel. Number two, love provides assurance that we have eternal life. Love provides assurance that we have eternal life. Verses 14 and 15 read this way. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. However, excuse me, whoever does not abide, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Loving one another has numerous benefits and blessings. One is that we know that we have been born again and have eternal life. Verse number 14 says, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. But in contrast, it also says this in verse number 14. It says, whoever does not love abides in death. John is saying that that continually loving one another out of gospel gratitude for all Jesus has done is evidence that we have moved from spiritual death into spiritual life. He is not saying that that if we love, we can somehow earn eternal life from loving each other, but rather loving each other is evidence that we have already received eternal life. You can't work for this. You can't work for eternal life. But the blessing of having eternal life is that because of what God in Christ has done, we now want to love one another just as we were in fact loved. My love for others reflects what I believe I have received from God. Those whose lives are consistently characterized by hatred give evidence that they have never been born again. Those who constantly hate people, it's evidence that they've not been born again. In fact, it's clear in verse number 15 of our text today that an attitude of hate in your heart is equivalent to having murder in your heart. In fact, he says that in John 15. 
He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. This is the same type of description that was used for Cain when he killed his own brother. Everyone who hates is like Cain. John is clear. Love and hate are opposites, and they cannot reside in the same heart at the same time. Come now, I'll give you a story. Father's Day just passed. Uh, I grew up here in Memphis, Tennessee, so I came back home to plant a church in the place where I grew up, where I was raised, and where I have many memories. Some good, some bad. I could tell you stories for days about things that have happened in my life. One of the things that I can tell you that helped shape me is when I was a young boy, I did not have my father in the home on a consistent basis. I can remember my dad battling with different addictions. I remember a time where I went to sleep in a bed and I woke up in the morning and things were gone from my house because my dad was feeding his drug addiction. I didn't know how much that would affect me as a young kid. I didn't know how much uh, that would bother me as I got older. And as I began to push through high school and I would be on the sidelines of a football game where I just made a spectacular play and my friends would be looking in the stands, looking at their dads and shouting hoorah and throwing their hands up and their dads or their moms or their grandparents, whoever it was, was clapping. I would look in the stands and looking for my dad and I wouldn't see my dad. Man, some pain began to add up. I began to realize and acknowledge what I felt like I was lacking in my life. And as college came on, I started realizing I was, there was something in me. There was a hatred in me for my dad. There were times where if he wanted to call, I wouldn't pick up the phone or I would get angry and I would go off, and, uh, go off on him in a, ang- in, a, in, a, in a rage like no other because I was so upset that he was not around. And I can remember the moment that I came to know Jesus, the moment I began to be discipled and I started reading these scriptures and God started unwinding things in my life. He brought back to my face, face the hatred or the hard heartedness that I had towards my own father. And I remember one day as I was praying and reading my Bible and seeking the Lord that the Lord started just nailing his finger on it. And it was time for me to do something about what I was sensing what I knew and what I was going through. And I can remember me picking up the phone and calling my dad. My dad picking up and I began to hurl out everything that was on the inside of me. Dad, I'm upset with you for this. I'm upset with you for that. I'm, I'm, I'm broken because of this. I'm, I'm struggling because of this. All of these different things that have happened in my life are happening because you have not been around. Because you have not been here. It's your fault, dad. And I can remember as all those different things were going on and I was struggling, I was on the phone with my dad who was not a believer at the time. And I said, Dad, but I forgive you. I forgive you. My dad had no clue what was happening in that moment. He, he didn't even know how to respond. But for me, it was me allowing the hatred to leave my life. And I was learning how to love my dad, not for what he didn't do, uh, but I learned to love my dad for the small things that he did do, for the small things that he did teach me, even when he was absent a lot of the time. And later on, a few years later, I led my father to Christ. And my father today is a part of our church, 
and he is serving Jesus, and he will spend eternity with Jesus uh, because he now knows him and made a confession to follow him. But here is the big point, family. I don't know how long I could hate my dad and walk with Jesus. At some point, it was going to come to a head, and I was going to have to make a decision about my relationship and my attitude towards my dad. You see, the gospel, when it comes in and it begins to work on your heart, everything in you has to change because the gospel has now taken up residence. And when the gospel takes up residence, hate has to leave because love has come. But family, can I tell you, because I know I have eternal life, I wanted my dad to experience what I experienced. So it provides assurance that we have eternal life. I'm loving my dad now because of what Jesus has done for me and because of what Jesus has given me. First off, love is at the heart of the gospel. Secondly, love provides an assurance that we we have eternal life. Lastly, love always, always involves giving. Verses 16 through 18. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Real love, God's love, is shown as well as spoken. It's tangible, not theoretical. There is a beautiful relationship here between John 3 and 16 and 1 John 3 and 16. In the former, uh, there is a demonstration of love where uh, he lays down his He gives up his son, excuse me, so that his son could lay his life down for us. But in the latter is the explanation of love. John 3.16, God gave us his son. He gave up his son for us. 1 John 3.16 says we should give ours for others. We come to a real knowledge of what love is when we consider the sacrifice God made by giving up his only son. Family, I want you to hear me today. If you're watching church online this morning and you're running from God, you're not doing a very good job because God is trying to get a hold of you. And can I tell you the greatest moment of love that we could ever experience is when we look to the cross where Jesus gave up his life for us, for us to be able to walk in the newness of life. He didn't deserve it, but he took it on for us. We were guilty, but we were now made free and innocent of the crimes that we committed. He came in. He he took our punishment. He died a death. He was raised to life. And because of that, all of us can have new life. Love at its core is about self-sacrifice and self-substitution. And in our case, it is for us, those who were completely and totally unworthy of what Jesus did for us. 
when we understand the magnitude of what's been done for us, we won't just feel obligated to show gratitude. We won't just be thankful, but we will joyfully present our lives to God as a living sacrifice of worship. John says this, gospel gratitude helps me lay down my life for my brother. Uh, Warren uh, Weiserby says, uh, self-preservation is the first law of physical life. Self-preservation is the first law of physical life. We're always trying to keep our lives going some way, somehow. Not all bad. Uh, we want to keep ourselves looking good. We want to take care of our bodies. We want to exercise. We want to preserve ourselves because we want to live a long time. But self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. In other words, spiritual life is about us laying down our lives in the model of which Jesus has done for us. John 15 and 13 says, no greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. But as I was reading this, I felt John turn a corner and I felt something come out like, well, that's noble that you would die for someone. It's noble that you would be willing to lay down your life for something. It's, spirit, it's awesome. It is a nice thing that you would do. But while you're willing to die for me, can I ask you a question? What if I don't need you to die for me and I need something to eat? I need an extra shirt. I need an extra coat. Can I sleep on your couch until I get back up on my feet? You've heard the saying that talk is cheap. John really gets down to where the rubber meets the road and to prov he provides some basic, real practical advice about love in the context of everyday living. Jesus had a life to give and you have stuff to give. That's what John says by the world's goods. Jesus had a life to give and you have stuff to give. Jesus saw your need and gave his life. You see your brother's needs and close your eyes. How then can God's love reside in you? When was the last time a brother came to you with a need and you could legitimately meet the need, but you chose not to meet the need because you didn't understand who God has called you to be in him? Does God love reside in us, not just in word, but in deed as well? Or that word deed, a better word for it is action. John knows that our hearts are controlled. They control our hands. Our hearts control our hands and a closed heart results in closed hands. Dead faith equals dead love. Verse 18 says this. Uh, it says, little children... Let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is so much more than making a good profession or a great speech or even a great sermon. Love is an action word that expresses itself in good deeds done in the context of truth. Jesus didn't just say something. Jesus did something. He laid down his life after saying that he would do it. 
And when it came to a crossroad of him heading to make that decision, even though he was in agony and maybe he didn't want to do it and maybe I'm not in his mind, maybe he could have wanted to come down. He went through with it because he knew that it wasn't just word, but it was also deed. I'll close with this story. I'll never forget one of my friends who said, man, if my son was ever in trouble, I would risk my life for his. You know, it was crazy because you don't know what kind of situation you're going to put in whenever something like that comes up. I remember one day uh, my my friend who did not know how to swim uh, was around a pool and his son did not have on floaters or floaties, whatever you want to call them. Excuse me, moms, for messing that up. His son, without he wasn't paying attention to him, his son jumped over into the pool. He has a split second decision to make right then and there. He can't swim. But that's his son in that pool. You know what he did? He jumped into that pool. Without knowing how to swim, he jumped in and he grabbed his son and he tossed his son out of the water as quick as he could all while still being in that pool and floating around and trying to figure out how he was going to get out of that pool. Now, some other men came, jumped in the pool, and drug him out of that pool. But man, it was so beautiful to see a representation of someone who would be willing to lay down their life for the sake of their of something that they cared about and someone that they loved that was not them. Is that the same representation that we show with our own brothers and our own sisters? Is that the same reputation that we, the reputation that we show with people who maybe we don't know that God has called us to love? How far are we willing to go? Family, here's my question to you as I pray. How's your love life? How's your love life? Is it well? Is it bad? Are you loving? Are you looking at everything that this person might believe or how they do certain things and saying, man, I can't love them. They're unlovable. Are we looking through the lens of Jesus and saying, man, I was messed up. I was a wreck, but Jesus loved me instead. How's your love life? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your people this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for these people who have heard this word today. God, thank you in spite of what we're facing around the world. You have challenged us to change. You have grown us. And Lord, I thank you that you're causing us to love each other deeply. You're causing us each other to grow in love. You're causing us, God, to push towards relationships that we thought we'd never push towards. And ultimately, God, I thank you that we are resembling your son, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us. Lord, today, I pray for any person today who has a hard-heartedness, who has anger, who has bitterness, uh, God, and they need to trust you with that. God, I pray that today they would choose to lay down those things before you, that you might, in fact, come in and do a work in their hearts so that they can be a model of the gospel to a dying and lost world. Lord, today, we trust you to help us to love one another better as we look at the cross. Thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, High Point family, thank you. It was so good to be with you this morning. I pray that you and your family are blessed. Thank you. Thank you.